0: The depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. God, we praise you this morning that we can know that you are wise. We can know that you are just in your judgments. Even When your ways are mysterious to us, thank you that you are good and that you do good. Please increase our faith today and forgive us for our sins. This morning we repent. recognizing your holiness and our sinfulness, and cling only to the work of Jesus on our behalf. My little children, I write these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Thank you, God. And Father, we ask now for your help and your grace for those who grieve, for those in Syria and in Turkey who have experienced the loss of, of family and friends in homes, in resources, in stability, in security, and warmth, those in need of desperate provisions. Lord, have mercy. We ask your help for those who are engaged in wars and in dangerous conflicts around the world. Lord, have mercy. For those among us, even this morning, those part of our faith family who have experienced the loss of loved ones and who are grieving, Lord, have mercy. For all who are weary and need rest, for all who mourn and long to be comforted, for all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares for all who fail and desire strength, for all who sin and need a Savior, for all who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Lord, have mercy. And may they find your mercy today in Christ, in Christ alone. And as we yield now to your word, we pray that you would would comfort us You would confront us, and you would conform us more to your Son. We yield ourselves to you as we pray. Prepare our hearts, O God, to accept your word. Silence in us any voice but your own, that hearing we may also obey your will through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 1. Once again, if you're using a pew Bible this morning, that is on page 1. And as you're going there, hear the psalmist from Psalm chapter 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day, Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, and there are no words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, their words to the end of the earth. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy." Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit is its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from the heat. This is the word of the Lord. Last week, we introduced the book of Genesis as the foundations for life. Commentator Kent Hughes, who we will lean on in this study, has said, as written Genesis provides the theological pillars on which the rest of the Bible stands the creation narrative chapters 1 and 2 is one of if not the most significant theological pillar upon which the book of Genesis stands upon the Bible stands In chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, which we will look at this morning, we hear a declaration, a pronouncement. You can look at it in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the 29 remaining verses, which we'll look at next week, we see an explanation or a description of what God has done. This creation that he has made. But in just these first two verses, we have much to consider. Namely, about God and his work. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Moses began the book... Not with a defense of God's existence. Notice that. He begins it with a statement about the reality of God's existence. In the beginning, God. Now, we need to be careful as we go through these first two chapters to not read our modern day skepticisms into chapter one and two. Moses was not writing to explain the existence of God, nor was he writing to advocate a particular view of creation against the theory of evolution as we understand it today. Moses' first audience or his first hearers were not you and me, but rather the people of Israel. The people of Israel who would have at the time of the first reading or hearing would have been in the wilderness, after their years of slavery in Egypt. These people were either the generation that left Egypt or the children of that generation. In either case, it was the influence of the pagan cultures and the myths that Moses was withstanding here in Genesis 1 and 2. Prophet Emeritus. Professor Emeritus Sidney Gradonis says that Genesis was written to teach Israel who God is and what God did. It was written to oppose the influence of pagan mythologies and to correct their worldview. Egypt was known for their false beliefs. One particular is polytheism. Polytheism is the belief in more than one God. Christianity is a monotheistic religion. We believe in one God. Egypt had many gods. They also believed in what's called pantheism, which pan means all, theism meaning God, that everything is God. So the, 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 the God is the tree, and God is the sun, and God is nature, and God is, is the rain, and God, God is All things. We'll see that Moses dismisses that out of hand. One commentator says that they shored up, that the the Egyptians shored up their beliefs with elaborate myths of love affairs and reproduction among gods, of warfare marking out the, the heavens and the earth. Meaning, they had alternative origin stories. For the heavens and the earth. So when Moses began this book of beginnings, he does so by plainly stating that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Not in the beginning of God, in the beginning of time, God created the heavens and the earth. What God did, who He is, God did it. That's Moses' point. The term here for God, or the name here for God, is the word Elohim. Elohim, which we will see some 30 more times in just chapter 1. The name Elohim means strong one, or mighty leader, or supreme deity. It's an emphasis on majesty. It's an emphasis on power. We also see something interesting in this term Elohim is that it's in the plural tense. This notes, again, God's majesty. Additionally, the the plural indicates something unique about this God. For the New Testament readers, not the original readers, but for the New Testament readers, we have the benefits of knowing something about Jesus and something about the Spirit. We know that Jesus is the Son of God. We know that the Spirit is the Spirit of God. And so we can read this term, this name, and understand the plurality to be an indication of the triunity of God, the Trinity, we would call it, that there is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, three in one, one God and three persons. This would not have been known to the original reader, and we need to acknowledge that. That when Moses wrote Elohim in the plural, he didn't write it to to make a defense of Trinitarian theology. He used the the name of God because of its majesty and because of its power and to indicate who this creator actually is. But again, with with the understanding of the New Testament, we understand that in Acts chapter 4, verse 24, that creation is attributed to the Father. But then in John chapter 1, Creation is attributed to the Son. But then we read in Psalm chapter 104, verse 30, that creation is attributed to the Spirit, which indicates to us that the plurality of Elohim means that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit were all present, not only present at creation, but involved in creation. God created the heavens and the earth. The point Moses is telling his, his hearers is that in the beginning, God was there. He was there, as one theologian says, from eternity to eternity. That's how God exists. From, from eternity to eternity. Derek Kidner writes, the, this, the passage, meaning Genesis 1, indeed the book, is about God. From first, first of all, To to read it with any other primary interest, he writes, which is all too possible, is to misread it. It's about God. From first to last, it's about God. God is. From the the opening words of the Bible, in the beginning, the beginning of time, God is. And what about this God? It's not just that God exists, but what about him? What did he do? He created the heavens and the earth. So not only God is, but God is the creator. God created. This word create or created is only used in the Bible for God. Uh, One uh, commentary says, that it's only used of God's divine creative activity and never of human activity. The word created is never used of a human creating anything. We see it in verse 1, that he creates the heavens and the earth. Look down to verse 21. So God created great sea creatures and living creatures that move. So the animated life God created. And then look down to verse 27, and God created man in his own image. Those are the three times in chapter one that Moses has used the word create or created. God did it. In the text, another commentator points out that there's no connection here between any other material being involved in the creation. There's no other material. God created the heavens and the earth. There's there's nothing else involved. There's no other material for him to use. There's there's no other other things being involved here. God did it. God created the heavens and the earth. It's something uh, to create something. It it is one thing to create something. It's something else to create something out of nothing. Some some of you are, are creative people. You work with wood, or you work with fabric, or, or, or whatever. And you make things, and that's beautiful. But, but, but you don't make the things that you make out of your own hands. Meaning you start with something, and then from that you create something. God started with nothing, nothing and created everything. And this is where all alternate hypotheses and myths and theories about creation or about the origins of the world break down before they even begin. Because if you, if you have no matter, you cannot have a creation. If you do not have material you cannot form anything. You cannot make anything. Naturally speaking, something does not come from nothing. Now, that might be bad grammar, but it's true. Something does not come from nothing. Those who make things do so with materials that they themselves did not make. But here in Genesis 1, we see that God is making everything out of nothing. That's what Moses is saying. There was nothing before God created everything. Romans chapter four, verse 17 says this, that God calls into existence the things that do not exist. He makes them exist and he holds it all together. Do you realize that? That today, if he didn't hold it together, we would cease to exist Colossians is is clear about that, that that Jesus is, is holding us all together, quite literally. If he takes his hand off, we cease to exist. The Latin phrase here is creatio ex nihilo, which means creation out of nothing. Creation out of nothing. God created out of nothing, and what did he create? The heavens And the earth. Now this phrase is a figure of speech. It's called a mirrorism. And a mirrorism takes two contrasting parts of a whole to express or refer to the whole or to the total. So what, what Moses is doing is he is saying the heavens and the earth is using these two pieces, these two contrasting parts of the whole to basically say God created everything. He created it all. The heavens and the earth, the universe, everything. And everyone, God did it. God created it. The creator God stepped in and acted. This creator who stands outside of his creation, he is the uncreated one. He created. He stands outside of and, and above creation. He is distinct from creation. He is transcendent over creation. He is pre-existent and self-existent. He existed before creation, and he does not need creation in order to continue to exist. God speaks into the world, and creation followed. God created the heavens and the earth. Now, we could all agree with this point and maybe just leave it at that this morning. But what fun would that be? Instead, we should consider the immensity of what is being said. The heavens and the earth. It is more immense than than Moses would have even understood when he said that. When he penned those words, the heavens and the earth, using this figure of speech to say everything, he could not have understood what he even was saying. it is now known that our galaxy is one of some 125 billion galaxies that can be seen with modern telescopes. Each of those galaxies contained 400 billion stars, which totaled together would be something like 10 billion trillions of stars. These galaxies span 600 trillion miles and they're separated by 3 million light years. We have no idea what God created. We don't have a clue. This is what we can see with a man-made modern telescope, which is amazing, yes, but what can't we see yet? More the heavens and the earth. David writes in Psalm chapter 8, and maybe you feel this right now. When I look at your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the Son of Man that you care for him? Or the prophet Isaiah chapter 40. The Lord says this, to whom then will you compare me? That I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out the host by number, calling them by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Not one star is missing. God created the heavens. He called it into being. And friend, if God knows the stars by name, all 10 billion trillions of them, you think he knows you? He knows you. You're not missing from him either. Now modern scientific findings are amazing. They're encouraging. They, they, they blow us away in, in all the right ways. But let me just say to you this morning, They do not prove and they do not confirm the Bible to be true. The Bible is true. And it requires no confirmation from mortal man. A.W. Pink writes this, the Bible needs no confirmation. He goes on. To argue that if science agrees with the Scripture, he goes on to argue this. Let me get it right here. If science agrees with the Scripture, that does not confirm the Scripture. It confirms the science. (laughs) And if the science conflicts with the Scriptures, it does not prove the Scriptures are wrong. It only proves that the science is wrong. And why can we say such things? Sounds audacious to say that these days. Trust the science we hear, right? Why? Because Genesis was there first. God was there first. He is the authoritative word. His word is the authoritative word on origins and who the originator even is. The origins of all things is God. He is, in A.W. Pink's words, the great originator. God created the heavens, but not only the heavens, and the earth. Verse 2, Moses moves to describe the condition of the earth. Listen to it. And the earth was without form, and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Hebrew here in the first part of verse 2 is Tohu Bohu. Sounds kind of fun to say. Tohu means without form, Bohu meaning void. The earth was Tohu Bohu. It was without form and it was void. It was formless, which speaks to the earth being uninhabited, uninhabitable. It was wild. It was, there was waste, wasteness, we might say. And it was void. Void expresses a place of disorder or unorder and emptiness. But not only that, he continues, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Darkness was over the face of the deep. Then there was chaos and there was confusion. That's the picture that Moses is pointing. And again, naturally speaking, we know that order does not come from disorder, not on its own. Deformity does not, form does not come from deformity. Organization does not come from chaos. And so, how can creation, out of nothing, out of formlessness, be intellectually explained without a supernatural creator? Spoiler, it can't! (laughs) You can't explain it. You can't explain it because if there is creation there is a creator. If there is a design, there is a designer. If there is a language, there is a linguist. If there is a code, there's a coder. If there's an origin, there's an originator. And if there's pottery, let's say, there's a potter. One commentator, Umberto Casuto, writes this, just as the potter, when he wishes to fashion a beautiful vessel first takes a lump of clay and places it upon his wheel in order to mold it according to his wish so the creator first prepared for himself the raw materials with a view to giving it afterwards order and life it is this terrestrial state that is called bohu in tohu void And without form. And even in this darkness, even in this void, even in this formlessness, listen to the end of verse 2. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. The word spirit here is the word for breath. Psalm chapter 33, verse 6 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their hosts. Ken Hughes again, the spirit is to God's word as breath is to speech. What do we see? God spoke, the spirit was at work. The breath of God was hovering over the face of the water. He called, he made, he formed, he spoke, he created the heavens and the earth. And following that, look at verse 3. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God spoke. The breath of God spoke, and creation came into being. God spoke, and it happened. What do we know? We know that Elohim, we know that Elohim is God. We know that he is the, the creator king. We know that he is sovereign over all things, and that he is the all-powerful God. Just in the first two verses, we got fifty chapters, friends. The first two verses, we're already seeing this Creator King, who has the whole thing, spoken by His Word. He's holding it all together. You think your life feels out of, da- out, of out of out of hand? You think the world is spinning into Bolivian? In the beginning. We learn from the beginning of time that he holds it all together. And if he holds all that together, he holds you together. He holds your life together. He holds your family together. It is God who is the one who's going to hold us together. It's not our efforts. It's not us us striving all, all the time. No, God is the one who is sovereign over all things. He is the king who speaks and it happens in day one, he spoke, let there be light, and there was light. And as he spoke light into darkness on day one, God still shines light into the darkness of human hearts today. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, the Apostle Paul says this, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. The same God who spoke light into the world today is speaking light into the, the hearts of you and me this day. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world who has dawned. Isaiah chapter 9 says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. In those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shown. Jesus is the light that shines into the darkness. It is in Jesus that we see God for who he is and what he has done. It is in Jesus that our blind eyes are given sight. It is in Jesus that we see all of creation as God's work. It is in Jesus that we see how much God loved his creation as he sent his only son to die for the sins of the world. As we go through Genesis, we find that it doesn't stay a perfect creation, does it? Sin enters, the world falls into the curse of sin. But even from the beginning, the beginning of time, even as the earth is formed, even as it is made good by God, even from the beginning, redemption was God's plan. It was always God's plan. And redemption has come. The promise has come that we'll see mentioned throughout the book of Genesis has come. Christ has come. The light of life has come. He has dawned upon us. Do you see him? Do you know the light of the world? Has that light dawned upon your life? And in response, do you see God for who he is and what he has done? If you have not, if you've not responded to the light of the world, to this Jesus who came to give you life, to come to speak life into you, we invite you today to hear it. Hear his invitation to come. To come and follow, to come and believe, to repent and believe, and find in Him the life, life everlasting. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the work that you have done, the work that clearly we could never have done. In the beginning of time, you created the heavens and the earth, and we rejoice. we rejoice with what that tells us about who you are, what that tells us about your your ability, your capacity, your character, and your power. It's in those great truths this morning that we rest, even when our life feels out of control, even if we may wonder at times if you're there, the God who made the heavens and earth made us. The God who knows the heavens and the earth knows us. The God who was present at creation is present today. May we find our hope in you. Through your Son we pray. Amen.